want to quick say uh, thank you to to Debbie. She is the one who um, primarily heads our coffee bar area and things like that. And uh, she puts up with my crazy requests. And, uh, you know, recently I've been asking her, hey, let's, let's not just give them water. Let's give them infused water, something they'll really like. And so... This week we got a, a new recipe. We've had one for a while, but this week we got a new one. So we had raspberry lime infused water. So that's great. It's got some great qualities. Nothing magical in it, but you know, maybe I don't know. The last time um, the water we had, we, we there are currently seven women pregnant. I don't know what this water will do. So I'm excited to find out. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> last week uh, we looked at. Uh, what the kingdom of God is and the fact that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is actually breaking in in pieces um, from creation till today. Uh, we see pieces of the kingdom of God um, will be like showing up in our current realities, our current lives, this sort of dynamic, progressive kingdom rather than something that's static. And one of the challenges I said for us is that with this kingdom, uh, it really critiques our whole world view. Uh, our whole idea of what we believe life is and what the good life is and, and, and who is actually blessed in this world. The first week of the series, if you remember, um, I had everyone at your table, you, were, you wrote down a word or a phrase that defines your current reality. What does the mess look like for you currently? Uh, what is smeared all over the window, uh, keeping you from seeing God or, or seeing his kingdom? And so let me get real with you for just a moment. Um, Liz had those, uh, those note cards and she was painting words up on the back and, and she kept those note cards and she called me and she said, Jeff, I really want you to look at these. And, um, some of you wrote some serious stuff on those cards. And so listen to me, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to help get through your situation, I ask you come talk to me, to my wife, to one of the elders. Um, you don't have to walk alone with some of that stuff. Uh, there are people who love you and want to journey with you. And so if that was you, if some of you had written stuff on there and you don't have anyone to talk to about it, please come see me. But here's the reality. For some of us, we think that this earth is pretty much all there is. That, uh, in other words, we don't believe that heaven will ever show up in this world. And how messed up would that be? You know, if this, this world is the only platform, this self-contained unit called earth, you live here and you, and you exist here and then you die here and all that's, that's all there is. It's the way the world operates many times, and it's the same way uh, we operate as if it's in us. And it's this uh, strive to succeed in the world, the strive to become someone in this world, the strive to be blessed in this world. We want all, uh, we want more, we want more with this than this world can offer us. And so when we talk about heaven, it's sort of this nice thought for people who are dead, who have already left this world. For, for me today, the game I have to play is, is competing in this world. And so when you think about the kingdom of God, it, it has this upside down economy. And what I mean by that is, is that most of the way we think the world is, it's right side up. Jesus comes in and says, no, it's really the opposite of that. And the things that you think about in your life that you see as horrible or tragic or, or as a liability or a deficit, Jesus shows up and says, that's grace that you've even have that in your life. Because that's what's going to help you turn this thing right side up. And so today what I want to look at is what it looks like in the already, the here and now. What does it mean to uh, be a person who has a good life, a blessed life? And when you think about a good life, uh, whatever we envision that to be, 
If it's fame or the fact that if I just work out hard enough or if I work hard enough and make enough money, everything will be okay. That that there's this mystical thing that happens when you just work harder, right? And then you look at the mule and then you're like, man, well, that's not the life I want. And so, you know, maybe the good life is when everyone thinks that I'm somebody, when everyone thinks that I'm popular. But if I could just obtain this this one thing, then everyone will think that I made it. But it's interesting to me that when you look at politicians or star athletes or the most famous Hollywood stars, not many of them were people who used to uh, guide rafts a few years ago, right? You know, who woke up one day and thought to themselves, hey, I think I'm going to be famous, right? And they're down there and uh, I don't think that's how they didn't like how the country was going. And they're saying, hey, uh, I I think I'm going to be president today, right? No, that's not what our culture has. And for the most part, instead, we see people who, who come from power and prestige and families with great education and all that stuff. You don't, you don't really see the average Joe from the street. The best chances for people around here to become famous is, is through moonshining, right? Or, or hoarders or America's Most Wanted, right? You know, so we got that going for us. So I'll include myself in that. I'm, so I'm not. But there's a sense, though, in our culture that we have defined what the good life is, what success is, and what, what, uh, what it takes to make it in this world. And we come to this passage in Matthew 5. And Jesus says, I want to re- redefine who gets the good life. And he redefines it by telling the crowd who gets the kingdom of heaven. So let's read this passage in Matthew 5. But first, let me me give you a little bit of background here. This is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons, you know, up there with the Ten Commandments and and Psalms 23. As a portion of scripture, this is extremely well known. Not necessarily well understood, but well known. It takes place after Jesus has begun his ministry. And at the end of chapter 4, we see him going through Galilee. And he's teaching people what God is like. People who didn't ordinarily have access to God are now understanding who he is. And he's healing people. The kingdom of God is showing up where death and sickness and disease were threatening. And Christ is healing people. But it's also showing up where people were bound up in addiction or demonic oppression. And Christ is setting people free. And then he sees all these crowds. And if you look at the end of chapter four, he says large crowds. And so he looks out over this large crowd of people that he'd been touching and ministering to. And he decides that he's going to teach them for a moment. And so Matthew five, starting in verse one, says this. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, and this is normal because Jesus is just, he's just trying to get above the crowd, you know? And so he, he sees them and he wants to project his voice so that they can hear him. And we, and then we see these, these things in the next verses, these blessed sayings and that some of you uh, need to understand something about them. One is that when he uses the word blessed here, he doesn't, he doesn't mean happy. What he means is that there is this state of well-being for you, that life can be okay. A sense of inner contentment and peace. There's a present sense that the kingdom of God shows up in the whole group of messed up people. And he says, I'm bringing to you blessing, bringing good news. And so we hear the word blessed and that's a totally different meaning for us, right? It seems that in our humanity, whenever people say that I'm blessed, we immediately connect it to some material gain or some material stuff. Like I got a brand new car. God has blessed me because God loves new cars and likes to give them away or something, right? You know, but we, we always attach it like being blessed means uh, some material gain for us. And that's what the crowd understood God's blessing, right? They understood that God liked certain people, that he made their lives easy and comfortable and successful. 
And God didn't like, uh, and he ignored and rejected other people, like those people who were poor or sick or illiterate or whatever it was. And we think this in the world today too. As much as we don't say it, we really do. When your life goes well, your faith goes well. It's a natural kind of thing. God's blessing me because my life's going great. When your life goes bad, well, God's left the building, right? God's testing me. God hates me. We, we naturally go into that. And some of you, you're, you're pretty well off financially. That means God loves you, right? And some of you, you just balance your checkbook. Bad news, God doesn't like you. Some of you need to wake up to that reality, right? No, that's, but that's kind of how we think, right? Uh, we don't articulate that but because it sounds stupid, but we think it. We look at our checking account and we ask, well, why doesn't God like me? And so when we think about the term blessed, even in the church today, we say the people who have really good lives uh, and families and marriages and all that stuff, God likes them. And those of you that are not married and not happy and don't have enough cash or your, your job doesn't go well, God must not like you. And so when Jesus speaks to this crowd, they're a crowd of hopeless people. They're not the Fortune 500 group, just average peasant Illiterate farmers that live meal to meal, not paycheck to paycheck. And those are the people that Jesus addresses here. And then the other thing we need to understand about this passage is that these are not a moral how-to list. I've heard people say that this, this is how we're supposed to be if we want to be blessed. So when he says blessed to those who mourn, I guess what you're supposed to do is run over your dog, right? Because I'm trying to be blessed. And so I have nothing to mourn right now, so... Fido, right? You know, I mean, no, it's, this is a description of the crowd who he's speaking to. There are people who are mourning. There are people who are meek. There are people who are poor in spirit. This is the crowd who he's talking to. And Jesus is not saying, isn't it great that you're mourning? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that in the economy of this world, you people are messed up. This is a bad thing. You don't have a lot of hope. If you're trying to make it up the corporate ladder... Or you want to be famous in this world? You people, you really don't have a shot. And he's not looking at you saying, isn't it great that you're poor and meek and all these things? No, he's saying, is the blessing is that my kingdom it has a huge spot for people like you. It's not lifting up the value of it. It's saying, isn't it wonderful that you're like this? He's saying you're fortunate. You're blessed. Because in my kingdom, or in the kingdom of this world, you may not have a shot. But in my kingdom, I notice you. And not only do I notice you, I care about you. And my grace is coming to come with this tangible impact on your life. And that's why it's good news. So let's listen to what he says. Verse 3. Raspberry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that in my economy, the economy of my kingdom, things are a little different. There are certain things that you're going to see as liabilities, deficits. And I'm saying to you that your life can still be content. You can still feel blessed even though you're in your current state. And so let's look at each one of these. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's talking about is that these people are not the spiritual leaders of the day. They aren't the ones with the big robes and the big hats. 
There aren't the ones that uh, read Hebrew and they can translate scriptural text. When it comes to conversations about God, they don't have a lot to say. And if spirituality was a currency, they'd have about 10 bucks. They're the peasant farmers out there leaning against their rakes, listening to Jesus, shaking their head, saying, I don't get it. I go to church, uh, but I have no idea what he's talking about. People ask what I think about God, and I say, I believe, right? You know, I I read the Bible. I don't get that, if I could be honest with you. Because if uh, I am, you will think I'm stupid. But at the end of the day, I just don't get it. I believe, but I'm not getting it. Those are the people uh, anyone is, those aren't the people anyone's going to ask spiritual questions to. Unfortunately, there is a sense that if you go to church, you have to understand everything, which is how a lot of people feel when they walk into church. Because they just, they, they just say, man, I'll never go to church again because those people, they, they get it. They're, they're not poor in spirit. They're, they're very spiritual and I'm not. And so I don't connect with those people. But Jesus shows up to these farmers and says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. That there's not this ladder of spiritual haves and have-nots. There isn't this in-crowd or this out-crowd when we get to heaven. There isn't this sense that Jesus is going to think that someone who went to seminary is better than the farmer. And said, so Jesus says, the good news is, is that if you come to me by faith, even though their spiritual bank account may only have $10 in it, that's okay. You don't need much to get into heaven. You need to trust me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next thing he says is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You recognize that in our culture, we don't like to mourn. I don't even think we know how to. And even though our culture is surrounded by death, we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. When someone dies, we have a funeral, and then we never talk about it again. I remember when someone in my family was was murdered in high school. Our family stopped getting together on holidays because no one wanted to talk about it or deal with it. C.S. Lewis, in in a grief observed, says that there's no place in this world where mourning fits. He's talking about what it was like after he lost his wife. And he says, people want to avoid me. They won't look at me on the streets. They look at me and you can tell they just want to walk the other way. They don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. He said they should just create this little island where we can be shipped off to. And then we come back when we're feeling better. But in our mourning, we have to recognize That each one of us are not that far from having to mourn ourselves. That we're not far away from death. Tragedy could be the next phone call you get. There's this sense that we don't like to be reminded about how frail we are. Jesus says in this world, if you're mourning, there is this hopelessness to it. Your loved one is buried in the dirt. Life is gone and it's not coming back. And if at the end of the story... This kingdom, this this world, this place we live in, there is no hope. And you can mourn and mourn and mourn. And the only thing you can hope for is that you can turn back time and somehow bring your loved one back to life. But Jesus says that in my kingdom, I don't want to avoid you, but I want to comfort you. I want to pay full attention to what you lost. And I want to fully be able to satisfy that loss with, with real comfort. And so when you hear those words from Jesus that it's going to be okay, it's because it really is going to be okay. Not just someone to try to get you past the morning phase. You're going to be okay and it's, it's going to be okay. So don't think of yourself as someone who is distant and lost because if you, in your morning, in your loss, my kingdom shows up and blesses you. The next is 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek are people who are really nice, right? They, they don't talk very much, kind of quiet. If you called them to pray in church, they'd probably wet their pants. But they're, you know, they're, they don't want people to look at them, right? They, they're people with this, uh, in the world, you know, the meek just never make it in terms of what good life is supposed to mean. The meek won't necessarily stick up for themselves. And, and humility like that doesn't get you very far. It's nice, but the world doesn't really care about that. It's the same in church. I remember going up in church and working with youth over the last 10 years and, and how much of, of a contest it was for the biggest youth group, you know, and which church gave the most money to speed the light, which was a missions program that we had. And the youth conventions became the showcase for the big churches to show off their, their numbers. And I'd sit there and I'd say, are you serious? Is this, is this what it's all about? What does this have to do with anything? And then you look around, and you see all these others watching in amazement saying, wow, that church is so cool. They're, they're so awesome. Look at their t-shirts, they match, you know? And, and the meek are either attracted to arrogance and taken advantage of, or they're the ones left on the sidelines watching all these arrogant people. In this world, the meek are usually on the sidelines. They don't have a loud voice. They're probably not going to, to make it big. They'll have fine lives, but they're not the people that anyone's looking to for anything. Jesus is saying to the meek, isn't it great that you're the meek and that you get taken advantage of? No, that's not what he's saying. He says, my kingdom, you get to inherit the earth. You get it all, the power, the stuff, the people that are, what they're fighting over, you own it. It's yours. My kingdom is flying upside down in such a way that the quietest person who seems insignificant is the one who holds the keys to this whole thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled when he talks about righteousness, it can be uh, on many fronts. It could be in you. Those of you who struggle with sin or addiction, you really try hard, but you just, you continue to blow it. And every time you blow it, you're just filled with this void or this emptiness, this hunger inside of you that says, God, I don't want to live like this any longer. I don't want to be sinful. I, I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I want to be like you, God. But there's no fruit to eat from, just emptiness and hunger. Jesus says, my righteousness will be yours. You will be filled in my kingdom. But there's also this hunger and thirst for righteousness when, you, when those that you know have been wronged or victims of abuse. People here today that have been taken advantage of by other people. We read the local newspaper and we see stories about kids that have been horribly abused. There's something in your gut that says, I am hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And where is it? Those of you who have been abused, you know that hunger and thirst. Where's the righteousness? Why am I left with this pain? And if you're stuck and this is all we get is just this world, then there is no hope. There is no righteousness. The world does not operate like that. We don't value it enough. There's justice maybe in the court of law sometimes. But where's the righteousness that says that this is how life is supposed to work? We're supposed to love each other, treat each other well. You, shouldn't, you should be able to let your kids play on a playground and not worry about them being abducted. You should be able to do those things, but you can't. Why? Because this world isn't righteous. Jesus says that in my kingdom, when it breaks in, the way my kingdom operates is that righteousness is the new culture. And the things are the way they're supposed to be. And as you hunger and thirst for that righteousness in this broken world, my kingdom breaks in and says, you will hunger and thirst no more. 
You'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Merciful people are taken advantage of all the time. You remember growing up in school, there was always that one kid who everyone took advantage of, right? You could always borrow their money. They'd do the homework for you. Uh, they'd hold a place in lunch line for you. I love that kid. He was great. But the, the merciful people are compassionate people. And in the economy of this world, those are people who are taken advantage of all the time. They're the people who forgive so people will continue to wrong them. They're people who have compassion, but yet at the end of the day, because you give mercy, you often rarely receive it. And that's why it's interesting when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for you will be shown mercy, that you won't be on the giving end only, but you're going to receive it. You're that person who people ignore your feelings and just say, oh, she'll get over it or he'll forgive you. And you become a less respected person in the world. And Jesus says, you're going to understand what mercy feels like on the receiving end in my kingdom. And you're valuable enough for me to forgive you. And Jesus says, the beautiful thing about this is that I will give you mercy. Next says, blessed are the poor, in, or I'm sorry, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. When you think about pure heart, there are people who have this sense of innocence to them, right? For some, it might lead to a perfectionism that drives you crazy. There's this idealism where they always want to be right, to be pure, to be perfect. And with innocence in this world, there's almost the assurance that that will disappear at some point, right? That the pure heart won't stay pure for long. By the time you get to middle school, right? We're going to make sure that that heart isn't pure anymore. And so we created PG-13 and we're okay if a 13-year-old gets to see some nudity, right? Or here's the F-bomb and all that. So what, what happens between 12 and 13 that this heart gets so jacked up that we think they're ready for that? And in this world, it seems that the pure of heart would have to walk around with a blindfold to remain pure. It's almost impossible to watch live TV with your kids anymore. I have to DVR everything just so I can skip some certain commercials, right? And some people might think that's funny and ask you, well, why don't you let your kids listen to that or, or watch that? Like you have some sort of disease for that decision, right? I know I can't guard my son's heart forever. But when I was his age, my dad was letting me watch Benny Hill with him, right? And that led to solid gold dancers, which led to Baywatch as a teenager. And now I'm wrecked, right? And so I get it. You just don't laugh because you admit it. It's true, right? And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And what will happen in my kingdom, the reason why you're so blessed in regards to what this world thinks about you is that you're going to see God, the purest, the thing your heart longs for the most. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers sometimes can be the most annoying people, right? They're usually the person in the middle of an argument and that's an, employee, an annoying place to be, right? We want people to choose a side when you're having an argument. And they better choose my side or just stay out of it, right? You know, and peacemakers never tend to say that you're right. They're always say, well, how can we bring this back together? And you're like, shut up, I'm right, you know? Who, who asked you anyways? Peacemakers are always in the middle and they're never really respected. Society wants people to pick a side and fight for it. And it's not a matter of being for it or against it. Some people want you to be on the street corner with a sign. Or your Facebook picture must advertise your stance on an issue. I believe there's another way to go about it. And ultimately, the annoying ones are the ones with the bullhorn. Jesus shows up and says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
that in my kingdom, you're my son. And then the last thing he says is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You think about the the whole idea of following Jesus. And in our culture, it's kind of a culture of ideas. We like to think and talk about what we think Jesus is about and whether Jesus really works for me or not. And you can decide to follow Christ, and, and most of us have that are here, and it didn't cost you your job, and there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's this good sense that you're not going to walk out of here and get beat up, right? Or your car is going to be set on fire when you leave the doors. Then again, I've seen some of the cars you drive, and they could explode, right? But, but there's not going to be a lot of ramifications um, from other people. I mean, they'll judge you for going to the Grove, but not for following Christ. And, and it's not usually in your face. It's some blog or social network. But in many cultures, when you choose to follow Christ, persecution comes. And when I think about persecution, I think of people being stoned to death for their faith. And there are people all across this world who are suffering for their faith, who end up in prisons, who end up being tortured and beaten and killed. All they would have to say is, you know what? I I don't, I I disown Jesus. I, I disown the kingdom. I don't want anything to do with him anymore. And the prison door would be open, free to go back to their home, to this world, to this nice life. But they won't do it. They, they won't. It's not a good place to be if you're arrested for your faith and then thrown in and and tortured. You're not blessed in terms of of what a great thing it is. But you are blessed because in that place, all you have is Jesus. And it's in that where you can say, mine is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, in this passage, takes the two extremes. This is the poor in spirit. The guy who uh, who doesn't know what to even say about me. He gets the kingdom of heaven. And then over here is my zealous missionary, the one who has given up everything to follow me. He also gets the kingdom of heaven. And both of them in this world don't really have a lot to hope for. But in my kingdom, they get everything they need and they have the good life. For you and I, we might find ourselves in that list, maybe not. But this isn't an exhaustive list. It's a list that I think that we can add to. If Jesus were here today on a hill talking to us, he'd probably say, blessed are those who are not good looking, which might sound funny, but in our world, how we look and think about ourselves can be crippling. He might say, blessed are those of you who are going bald or those who don't have money or can't get a good job or those of you who are single and unhappy. Blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because in this world, those things may name you, marginalize you or label you. But in my kingdom, I notice you and I care about you. And my kingdom is open for all of you. The question is, is will you believe it and go after it? Let's pray. God, today, we want to be blessed. And it's not in a material way. God, we want to know that the kingdom is ours. So we want to search our hearts. And see where it is that we've held on to this earthly kingdom. Where we need to let go and take hold of you. To believe your word. God, today we want to feel you. Those that that are coming through all walks of life. Holding on to to baggage and and these things that have, have kept us back and held us down. Things that we've done that we've regretted our whole lives. You say no longer do we have to to regret those or carry that alone, but we can lay them at the feet of your cross. 
And we can leave them there and walk away. Those things are worth praising you for. Those things are worth worshiping you for. So God, today, may our heart and worship be true. May you hear our voice as your kingdom breaks in in pieces. May we believe it and go after it and be a part of the fulfillment of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and worship with me.